You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to this week's Sports Hub show here on Fresh Air with me, Peter Johnson. I'm joined this week once again by Alfie Steiner. This evening, or this lunchtime, depending on when you're listening to it, we'll be reviewing the return to the Premier League after the international break and very excitingly previewing the start of the Champions League, which kicks off this week. We had another set of absolutely enthralling games this weekend, starting off with the Merseyside derby. We then saw West Ham come 3-0 down against Tottenham. Southampton battles a three-all draw with uh, Chelsea and Manchester United leave it late to turn Newcastle over. All right, so Alfie, thanks for joining me today. Uh, once again, no worries. I don't think we can start really anywhere except the Merseyside derby. Just I think it threw up by far the most talking points of any game this weekend. Absolutely. Uh, VAR controversy, offside controversy, ticking all the boxes, red card. Big. Big, big clash. And yeah, as you say, there was pretty much everything you could hope to expect in a game that was the first one back from the international break, I think. Yeah, red cards, great, some great goals, some terrible tackles, um, controversy, VAR, um, you know, just a great spectacle for the neutral and probably for. Uh, but the respective sets of fans as well, to be fair. I mean, probably less so for Liverpool in the context of Van Dijk now potentially out for the rest of the season. Uh, but yeah, well, it was a great game. I really enjoyed watching it. And what, what a way to kickstart the, the weekend back to the I mean, Premier League would... action after, after a dull and dreary international break. Well, yeah, it's quite. Um, I mean, yeah, I think you alluded to it. I think it's fair to say Everton will probably be more, be more pleased with the result. They came back to uh, came back from behind twice, which is perhaps characters they wouldn't have shown in previous years. Potentially that's a sign of improvement just there. Um, I think Absolutely. also something else you alluded to, um, I think probably the, mo- the biggest talking point in the game um, we'll start off with. Um, I think, well, Jordan Pickford on Virgil van Dijk. I think we've got to start there, really. Um, mm. Obviously, I think they decided, the thought process was, um, for those who haven't seen the seen the challenge, um, Pickford went in on van Dijk um, extremely recklessly, recklessly and dangerously. Um, but he didn't get a red card because van Dijk was offside, is the explanation they gave. Um, mm. I don't think the fact that van Dijk was offside made it any less of a dangerous tackle. So I'm not sure what you make of that, but that doesn't seem to make any sense to me. No, I, I, I've, I've thought about this actually because obviously watching it live to see Pickford, and we were speaking about him on last week's show, um, how reckless and rash he can be. And it looks like he just had a rush of blood to the head. And to be honest, no excuse really. It was a, it was a terrible, terrible tackle. Um, really dangerous. He went in high completely clattering Van Dyke whilst also Van Dyke having his leg planted, which obviously has has meant that he's, I think, you know, done his his ACL, his anterior anterior cruciate ligament. Uh and it's it's dangerous that stuff punished. You don't want to see it at all, but when it does happen, regardless of whether onside, offside, and look, 
you know, people can get set, players can get sent off after full time, up, you know, at half time when when not in play. Yeah, quite yeah. Um, so I don't really understand why Pickford wasn't penalised for that. And even in retrospectively as well, he was completely clear today that FA aren't going to take any action. And maybe you could argue, well, Van Dyke was offside and therefore Pickford wouldn't have had to have made that challenge if Van Dyke like wasn't in that position because he was offside and maybe he shouldn't be in that position. Anyway, I think it's it's ridiculous. I think there should have at least been a yellow card and retrospective action, but I would have liked to have seen him sent off and it yeah. could have ruined Liverpool's season. I mean, the reason they didn't uh, give any retrospective action, they say they'll only um, pursue retrospective action if it's something that the on-field officials and the VAR officials haven't seen. But obviously with VAR, you'd expect they're going to see everything and review everything that could possibly mm. be at all controversial. So I think we're going to see a far less, you know, far less, far fewer retrospective punishments being handed out. Um, but something just through the yeah. technical aspects of it. Um, within the laws of the game, I mean, I used to do a little bit of football refereeing, but within the laws of the game, in terms of judging yeah. whether there's a foul or a yellow card or a red card, they've got a scale, If it's whether it's careless, reckless, or if it's excessive force. If it's careless, then it's just a foul. Mm. If it's reckless, then it's worth a yellow card. If it's with excessive force and therefore dangerous to an opponent, then it's red. And I just think whether... So three of those. <laughs> whether, whether Van Dyke's shoulder was half an inch offside or not, it was quite clearly... Yeah incredibly excessive force that he went through him. Mm. And I do think, you know, I was speaking to a, a, to a mate yesterday and I, I, I put it to him that this was a tackle that was incredibly reckless and dangerous. And he agreed with me, but he sort of put it in its context and said, well, Liverpool had just taken the lead, perhaps Everton slightly shell-shocked on the ropes. Pickford, given the pressure that he's been under, at Everton but also international level maybe he just you know there was this sort of anxiety and pressure building up in him and it looked as if he just he was so nervous he just went out and clattered him he he wasn't really thinking and to put it I guess you can put that into a context and sort of see why that sort of tackle might have happened but I still think you know if something like that happens and we've seen now the the consequences of that he should be penalised for it, and I'm 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 disappointed that he got away with it. To be honest, because I I don't like to see it. You don't want to see one of the best, you know, the best centre back in the league in in such a stupid tackle. And the fact is, he was offside anyway, so it wouldn't, you know, that such an insignificant phase of play resulted in this potentially season-ending injury with with to know to no consequence of to Pickford or Everton, but only to Liverpool. So I, I think they can feel very hard done by. Yeah, I mean, as well, the fact that, um, you know, that they reviewed it and they didn't see anything, uh, somehow didn't see anything at the time. And as you say, we've seen penalties awarded after the full-time whistle. We've seen red cards awarded uh, after the full-time whistle this season. But something, you know, after an offside, like in the middle, right in the middle of the, of the, of the match, they just completely dismissed it. But I'd have thought, mm. you know, if you're going to give retrospective action, a couple of days after the event or whatever. And we've seen, you know, it's come out today how serious Van Dyke's injury is. I thought that's all the evidence you need that it was an excessive yeah. tackle. But Absolutely. Not. Anyway, there was also um, the small matter of um, Henderson's disallowed goal right at the end, which yeah. is the, a similarly marginal offside. Um, it looked to me, actually, in my not-at-all-expert opinion, that the only part of his body that was offside was, was his elbow which, of course, you can't yeah. be offside with now. 
So I'm not sure yeah. if you studied that and if you've got any kind of idea how they reached that decision. But that seemed equally baffling to me. I mean, as a as a neutral and as a football fan, I mean, Everton fans probably have something else to say. And and maybe it is a case of sometimes you get the decision, sometimes you don't. And that's the that's the common ground of VAR. You're going to get those decisions your way. You're not going to get them. But I just think he's, you know, he's not going to score with, whether it's his elbow or his shoulder or whatever, he's not scoring with any part of that body. It's so minimal, uh, the margin for offside. You just really would hope that VAR or, or the rules or whatever would, would, would specify that when there's such small margins like that, it's down to the referee. He let the goal stand, then stick with that decision. If, if he'd said it was offside, then you check it. Like I, I can understand that, but you know, the give the benefit of the that benefit of doubt to the attacker, perhaps. And it was just such an anticlimax. It reminded me a bit of that uh, when when Sterling, I think, scored for Manchester City in that Champions League. I think it was quarter final against Spurs, and it was yeah. pandemonium. And then you know he's offside by a, a millimeter or something like that. Uh, so it was a bit of a shame, but. You know, I guess if if we're all if we're if VAR is going to continue, you have to accept that you'd like to think that at least it's going to be slightly consistent in the sense that there will be goals like that ruled out across the board, which I don't really want to see, to be honest. I mean, they um, talk about um, sorry, they talk about you know VAR overruling clear and obvious errors, and people will say, well, that wasn't a clear and obvious offside. But I've kind of tended to subscribe to the view that you are you're either offside or you're not. It's not like a foul. There's a lot more interpretation. Like offside, you know, it's black and white. Mm. Whether are or you aren't. So I just think in that situation there, where it was so close, so even when they start layering all those lines up on the monitor and that, um, but I think if you start trying to leave a bit of leeway and say, "Oh, it was too close," then all of a sudden you can't even. Mm. How much? But that's almost yeah. But that's almost what they're sort of encouraging or doing, at least from to, to the fans' perspective, like drawing all those lines. You know, then having reviews of VAR and, and and referee panels discussing whether VAR was correct afterwards, it does seem like it's becoming a more subjective thing. With their intense search for object like objectivity across the board, it looks as if it's becoming something that, well, you know, how far is he offline? And, you know, when they do the measurements, it's like, you know, you can interpret those lines in different ways. It depends on the angle. So I'm not clear, and I don't think you know the wider football. Uh, the football fan base and and supporters, perhaps even players and managers, are clear on what constitutes as an offside or what doesn't. And I, I, I agree with you. It should be far more simple. But I think everyone in general would just like what like that to, to a goal should be given in that in that particular scenario um, because you know there's just such small margin to overturn a decision like that when the referee has has let and the linesman. You know they're they're there for a reason to make sort of judge those decisions on on the spur of the moment, and I think you know Liverpool fans and Klopp and the players and and the neutrals were just like oh for goodness sake it was such a perfect end to the game to be fair um, I thought Liverpool slightly edged it as well and I think you know given Van Dijk's injury the terrible I mean arguably even more horrific uh, Richarlison tackle on Thiago. I think Liverpool were unlucky to not come away with the three points. Um, but, you know, this never-ending discussion about VAR and, and what's offside, what's not, it just seems like it's going to continue, which is a bit of a shame because it takes away from the focus of actually a, a really brilliant game of football, mm-hmm. even I without mean, fans. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole concept behind offside, and we'll stop, we'll stop focusing on, on this particular game in a moment, but mm. just in terms of offside and the reason it exists, it's to stop you know, goal hanging like you'd expect to see on the playground of kids where someone's standing loitering by the goal. Yeah. That's what it's for. <laughs> it's not to judge if someone's offside by a millimetre. It's to stop people yeah. standing down in the six-yard box the whole game. So it just frustrates me that it's been started to be, inter- well, obviously for several decades now it's become interpreted in that way it just really frustrates me but anyway just mm, looking at the bigger yeah. picture then um, of course Liverpool obviously without Van Dijk for the foreseeable possibly into even next season you know he's looking at mm. the Euros being a doubt potentially next summer even um, also still missing Alisson of course um, what impact do you see that having on them and maybe the league and the chase of the title I mean it's massive it's, it's, it's monumental and I think but let's not let's not uh, look past the fact that Liverpool have been slightly more uh, vulnerable at the back. They've looked pretty shaky over the last few weeks. But you know, Van Dijk is such a leader. He, you know, he's one of the leaders in that dressing room. He won't be in and around the squad that much because he'll be focusing on his rehab and and operations and recovery. You know, the removal of that presence both in the dressing room, but also on the pitch. You think of like, you know, the options alongside him, Joel Matip and, and Joe Gomez, the level that they reach with Van Dijk alongside them. And I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, Van Dijk has been probably the most important player for Liverpool over the last couple of years. Um, it's allowed those attacking players and their and their attacking threat to flourish so much. So I think it's huge for Liverpool because, you know, they didn't sign another centre-back. They've now, what, on their books, they're, most senior options are Gomez, Matip. I mean, Fabinho can slot in there. They've got a couple of youngsters. They let Lovren go in the summer without replacing him. So I think it's absolutely huge. And, you know, but he's, I read, I read somewhere that he hasn't missed a minute of, of a game since prior to, you know, what happened on Saturday since I think it was January 2018 for Liverpool. And he has been that mainstay. Um, across all competitions for Liverpool and just the, the the calming presence he exerts throughout the team, the defensive line, the structure, I think it's going to be huge and it's really going to be a test of Liverpool's credentials as like, how can they fill that void or do they do they have to try something different? Um, so yeah, I think it's massive and in terms of the title race, I mean, Manchester City are probably licking their lips um, because it's a huge, it's a huge loss for Liverpool. Well, let's move on to that then. Um, I'm sure you would appreciate talking to someone about this game, so we won't. And it, it actually, there wasn't even that much really to discuss, to discuss in it anyway. Um, but I mean, in the wake of, you know, over the last decade or so, we've seen you come to Manchester and lose, not scrub it in, but 8-2, 6-3. Yeah. So only to come away 1-0 against a side who've been, you know, regularly hitting 100 points over the last few seasons, obviously, apart from last season. Is it mm. really such a bad result, or is it just? Or did you get the impression it was just the same old Arsenal, really? No, I, it, it wasn't the same old Arsenal, um, not at all. And I think, you know, the fact that the general reaction of of a lot of Arsenal fans that I've spoken to and and on Twitter, it's more of a frustration that perhaps we we thought we might have been in a in a position to. Um, do a bit better, get something from the game. We've we've showed that we can, um, in a certain style of play, you know, beat Manchester City, right, match Liverpool to an extent, and yeah, that frustration I think in itself shows the progress that that Arsenal are are, are making. 
you know, Manchester City were were pretty pretty excellent in the game. Um, we were very, tactically, structurally, defensively, we were pretty sound. It was just that you know that that final third. You know, Bamiyang didn't have a sniff. Um, you really thought that he might have started through the middle, but Willian <laughs> took up his mantle as a as a false nine centre forward sort of figure, which didn't really work. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, Arteta tried something with his lineup. It didn't quite work, but the foundations are there. We were so much more solid. We don't normally come away, as you say, from the Etihad with our heads held up high. We were in the game right until the end. We had a, bit, a, a decent couple of chances, perhaps could have had a penalty. So definitely a lot of positives to take from the game, albeit maybe slightly frustrating and a, a bit of a reality sort of check. Um, but the big games coming up, Ever- uh, sorry, Leicester and Manchester United, uh, perhaps more of an indicator of where we can get some some serious progress. You alluded to the lineup in Arteta's tactics there. I just wonder what you what your thoughts are on uh, Lacazette's been struggling to make the lineup recently, hasn't he? Just is that what explanation do you give for that? Because that, like Lacazette and Aubameyang, and you've got the likes of Saka, Pepe, all combined, you've got a fantastic attack there. But because mm. it's not really been getting a look in recently. Yeah, he, you know, he uh, he had a really tough year last year. Um, he was injured right just at the end of preseason, and obviously the whole Emery era. He really struggled for confidence, and he's he's not looked the player that I think he started to show sort of when we first signed him in his in his first full year. Um, I think Arteta's he's he's yet to work out what his how his attack or how he wants his attack to function. Um, we've seen the ways in which we've been most efficient with Aubameyang down the left, but that comes in a in a back three with perhaps playing a more sort of uh, quick transition, counter-attacking style. Lacazette, look, most Arsenal fans aren't too bothered because as much as he does quite a lot of the, the gruelling sort of pressing and, and tracking back, and he does link up the player to an extent, he's not really a player now who who instills fear in, in opponents, you know, defenders. He's not he's not uh, that elite goal scorer. And I think Arteta in his number nine, to be fair, it was slightly it was slightly surprising that uh, if you're not going to start a Bamiyang down the middle, um, but you're also not going to start, you know, then you're going to start Willian through the middle. It's a bit strange as to why. Like, well, why not just let Lacazette start there? But I think he just wanted to try something different. Look, he's going to play plenty this year. I think him and Nketiah, and this sort of speaks volumes of where Lacazette is really at. They're, they're sort of on a level pegging in terms of who who starts, depending on on the opponents. Um, Lacazette probably just edges it, but the, the game time is going to be shared. Lacazette will, will, will play a fair bit, but I don't anticipate... You know, he's into his final two years of his contract now, so I don't anticipate uh, Arsenal renewing his contract. And I'd quite like, I like him, but I'd quite like to see him go in the summer if we could, if we could get uh, raise a good amount of cash for him. Because, you know, having a Bamiyang and Lacazette, whilst it's worked to some extent short term, it's it's not really what we can afford to be having. We can't afford to have Lacazette a fifty. You know, we paid over fifty million pounds for him, and his impact on the team is not really sort of uh, big enough to, to merit, you know, a new contract or him starting through the middle every week, especially at the expense of Aubameyang. But 
as I say, it depends a lot on how Arteta's attack is going to evolve. And I think with Thomas Party hopefully coming in quite soon, we'll start to see a more fluid and uh, effective attacking unit because we haven't really seen that at all so far, much to the frustration of Arsenal fans. Well, we'll move on to... Uh... Now you've got that out of your system. We'll move on to something that's probably a little <laughs> bit more enjoyable for you, uh, which was obviously, yeah. uh, I think, you know, obviously the Tottenham game against West Ham, mm. which I, I did think even, well, even at 3-0 after 16 minutes, I was already thinking it had kind of a 3 all written all over it because I had the um, Newcastle-Arsenal 4 all in the back of my mind. I was getting shades mm. for that. Um, I don't know yeah. if you were the same or if you were just enjoying watching Tottenham slip up, but. <laughs> similar kind of vibe to that. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people have been suggesting when you look at how Liverpool started, how City have started, uh, how United and Chelsea have started as well, that Spurs could maybe be dark horses this season. And based on the first 20 minutes, you know, perhaps. But did the rest of the game just... Did that kind of prove that they've, they've still got underlying, you know, mental weakness? Well, yeah, as you say... <laughs> Look, I, I obviously enjoyed it at the end. You know that that Lanzini's equaliser in in, in stoppage time um, was was unbelievable, both as a strike, but also, you know, <laughs> Spurs looked so good in the first half. And for an Arsenal fan sitting and watching, both because I'm an Arsenal fan, and also the fact that I adopted not to have Kane and Son in my fantasy team, I was literally sitting there, just like, oh my god, what like what is life right now? They look really good. Son and Kane, you know, has Mourinho actually got, you know, got this Spurs team uh, playing how he wants and they're, they're going to be really dangerous. And look, in an attacking sense, they do look pretty sharp. But to see them capitulate like that, I think it was three goals in the last sort of 12 minutes, which I think is a record for, for Premier League, in Premier League history to concede three goals so late on. Um, and obviously Bale came on. Well, Newcastle. And... <laughs> so, uh, you know, Spurs is yeah. company, didn't they? But... Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, Bale coming on and it was all quite exciting. Bale came on at 3-0 and I said, I turned over, to, I said to my mate, imagine after the first goal went in, I was like, imagine on Twitter, you sort of see a, uh, a meme pop up of ba- the Bale effect and it's 3-0 and then by full time it's 3 all. Uh, but yeah, you know, it was very enjoyable to see. And, and I think, you know, Spurs have, they, they do concede goals, um, but so does everyone at the moment. We see with Chelsea, they were 2-0 up, conceded quite so, you know, gave up a, a two-goal cushion ended three-three against Southampton. So I think, whilst it's all probably reflect a reflection of where Spurs are at, they're they're quite weak defensively and not perhaps at the level that we think they might be. It is just what everyone's doing at the moment, shipping quite a lot of goals. Um, yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Kane and Son have moved. I think they're fourth on the all-time leaderboard now of um, partnerships leading to goals. I think they're between them, you know, twenty-six mm. goals have been Kane and Son getting the goal and the assist. Obviously, Bale coming in as well. That's an absolutely lethal front three. I mean, Bale perhaps didn't lack the match. We saw him have that incredible chance that would, in hindsight, have won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would have been a great goal. He didn't quite lack, didn't quite have the sharpness. Um, but going forward, you kind of get the impression they might kind of have a bit of a Liverpool or Man City thing about them, where however many goals you score, they're always going to be able to score more. Absolutely, and you think if those if, if Bale sort of cements his place in that in that front three, which I think he will as time goes by, you've also got 
Lucas Moura, you've got Bergvine, who looks pretty good from what I've seen of him so far. They've got a very strong attacking unit. They've got some good midfielders in there as well. But yeah, those, those three could definitely, if as Kane and Son have, if, if Bale can hit it off in tandem with those two, then Spurs, you know, it doesn't matter if they're going to concede loads of goals. They, they perhaps should have scored even more yesterday, to be honest. Um, so I think, yeah, it's worrying times. I'm slightly concerned given how good Kane and Son are. I've just, the only slither of hope, which is slightly quite cynical, is that they tend to, both of them tend to pick up a long-term injury most uh, at some point during during the season. So I'm hoping that that comes sooner rather than later. Uh, sorry, Spurs fans, but that's just the Arsenal bias in me. That's Arsenal's route to the league, just if all the other teams... <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll just we'll move briefly on to uh, obviously you, you mentioned Chelsea against Southampton, um, but I think the thing I'd really like to talk about just briefly on this game um, is Chelsea's defence. As I think you also mentioned, questions have got to be asked of Kepper again. Obviously, um, just kind of a regular, regular weekly thing now. Zuma as well. Um, is it a case, do you think, that Chelsea's defenders just aren't good enough? Or is Lampard responsible, do you think, for this constant like, defensive abomination? I think it's a bit of both. I actually, I do think it's more about the personnel. I think, you know, with Kepa and goal, he is, statistically speaking, he was the worst keeper in the league last year. And then he's made three starts in the league this year, three three mistakes that have led to goals, which is just terrible. And I think in terms of what that instills to your back line in terms of confidence, it's not going to be great. And personnel-wise at the back, all their defenders seem to be very up and down. They can sometimes have good games, but they're not the sort of dominant centre-backs that, that you'd, you'd associate with a, with a strong side. I mean, you could say that about Spurs, you could say that about Arsenal and, and United to an extent. Um, but yeah, I think it is a personnel thing, but it does seem that Lampard is sort of compensating. He's trying to compensate in an attacking sense if he can just unleash all of those guys at the, at the, at the top of the pitch, which I think he will be able to do in, in time. Maybe, you know, the, the defensive uh, insufficiency, uh, you know, weaknesses will will hasn't seem to have made, doesn't seem to have made such a big difference. So we shall see. I mean, it's, it is a good job for Lampard that Werner and Havertz did finally get off the mark because it was starting to look, starting to look like they really had invested in their own places in strikers who couldn't score and they've not brought in any suitable defenders. But mm. at least he's got his uh, his new attackers up and running now. Um, do you think it's possible yeah. in a situation where a manager has been? Was it? I think it was. Was it two hundred and forty million or something outrageously spent this summer? Um, do you think it's? Mm conceivable that a manager who's been backed that much could be under as much pressure as Lampard you know seems to be is that how how can you it, how how does it make sense to Chelsea to have backed him that much but still have him under this much pressure uh i th- to be honest i i don't think Lampard's job is at risk this season unless things drastically turn for the worse I think with that level of investment, especially in the attacking, in the attacking positions, you know, I think Chelsea will have a good, good enough season. Yeah, I, th- I think also Lampard's going to be given time. Um, if he has to get top four this year, if he doesn't, then I, I think his position will be seriously reassessed in the summer. But I think they will give him the full year. Uh, but that is the pressure with being back to such a great extent. 
Um, he's got to produce results. And I, d- I do think, you know, they're just getting some of their, as you say, Werner's started to find the back of the net. Pulisic's just back from injury. Havertz is starting to look pretty dangerous. Ziyech got a few minutes. Chilwell's starting to find his feet. Mendy was injured. Thiago Silva was out. So their team has not yet quite come together. But yeah, I understand that with the amount of money spent, obviously there's an inevitable pressure with that. So let's see. Let's just move on once we've got. I think there's just one more Premier League game really worth, worth mentioning from this weekend before we move on to the Champions League. Um, Newcastle against Manchester United. United coming from behind. Um, one of the reasons I just wanted to bring this up is because I think we, we've picked up on it ourselves the last couple of weeks. Kind of Newcastle's form under Steve Bruce can change at the drop of a hat. And we saw that, you know, in the middle of a game, even um, how they mm. seem to start so brightly and just fell apart towards the end. Um, so I was quite pleased that we were vindicated in some ways that what we've been saying about Newcastle actually actually came true. Um, but I think just just in terms of, of the, the one perhaps talking point from this game is maybe I think Maguire getting the equaliser and perhaps ten- testament to his strength of character that after all the you know criticism calls for him to be dropped and all that sort of thing, he did really well to turn it on and uh, grab a goal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as a well, not even as a neutral, as, as someone who probably wants to see Man United do badly, I, I quite liked Maguire getting a goal, especially with you were one nil down at that point. Was that right? Right, yeah, yeah. So, and you, you Bruno Fernandes missed the penalty, I think. So, you know, I was I was, I was pleased for Maguire. I, I can only imagine the sort of the the stress and pressure and just pretty low time that he might have been going through recently. Um, but yeah, I thought Manchester United, I did watch the game. I thought they looked pretty good, to be honest. Um, Bruno Fernandes is just something else. Uh, such an attacking threat. Rashford looked great as well. Um, and you're just, you've got so much going forward on the break. Was, I think you're, yeah. What was your view on uh, Van der Beek? Obviously, he's still not started apart from the League Cup game against Luton, I don't think. Um, but it was only after he came on that we had that late flourish. We saw that late flourish with uh, with three goals. Mm. He must be knocking on the door for a start, mustn't he? I mean, Solskjaer's kind of got it in his head that Dan van der Beek and Fernandes can't play together, um, mm. can't start together. But he must be starting to reassess that. Yeah, I think definitely. I th- I do think, you know, there's always, coming from a European league, definitely as an attacker, um, given that you've got, or you have had quite a few attacking players more, more developed or, or suited to what, clearly Solskjaer wants. I think it's understandable that maybe Van der Beek has, has taken some time to settle in. Um, I thought Mata played quite well. Um, it was obviously quite a, quite a bizarre start for him. But yeah, as you say, I think what Van der Beek gives you is, is off the ball movement and he really sort of uh, presents a big threat inside and just outside the box for the defenders, um, opening up a lot more space for you know Fernandez, Rashford. Um, so I think he's definitely knocking on the door to start. I, I'm not sure. Maybe he'll start. I don't, you've got some big games coming up. You've got PSG. I don't know if he'll start in that. I mean, he is Champions League experience. And then I think you've got Chelsea as well coming up. So I don't know when the right moment would be to start him. But as you say, he's definitely knocking at the door because he's looked pretty good in, in the opportunities he's had. All right. Well, you touched on Champions League just there. That's going to be the, the second half of our show this evening. You're looking at that. Um, Addy's not here this weekend to dis- this, this week to discuss Formula One uh, because since we talked about it last week there's been absolutely no developments in Formula One so uh, we'll just plough on talking about football 
and we'll get a song on for you now and then we'll come back and we'll talk about Champions League.
right, we're back. I hope you enjoy whatever song that is that I decided to edit in just there. You just heard us talking about uh, Newcastle against Manchester United in the Premier League on Saturday night. Um, we'll now move on to talk about United's upcoming Champions League game. They kickstart their campaign away against PSG tomorrow night. Um, we saw another defensive lapse early on for United on Saturday evening against Newcastle. Um, it was obviously a step in the right direction after the fiasco against Spurs. Um, but how much of a cause for concern do you think it is against the likes of Neymar and Mbappe? I mean, you can't give them an inch, can you? I think if Mbappe turn up, you really don't want you don't want them running running at Maguire and the likes of uh, well Luke Shaw perhaps even. Um, it is a bit of a concern, but you know maybe, maybe Champions League is is a different as a different energy a different atmosphere the players are more up for it they can it's a bit of a fresh start for them so maybe you, you'll look more defensively sound which for large parts of last season you were um but obviously you know Mbappe and, and Neymar and uh, Di Maria Icardi are slightly different attacking threats to as good as Sam Maximam is but him Joe Linton and you know whoever else Callum Wilson so yeah it's going to be a test for your back line yeah. Um, Obviously, we've strengthened with, with Alex Tellers. He was on the bench on Saturday, he didn't come on. Um, it's perhaps not the best occasion to be handing out debuts. I mean, on paper and probably realistically as well, it's Manchester United's hardest group game. Uh, I mean, having said that, I think I'm right in saying Greenwood made his, his senior debut in the second leg um, in, the, the, in the last 16 a couple of years ago. Um, so, I mean, there is that. That's only a small caveat. Mm. Um, so, we're perhaps not likely to see, as you said, Van der Beek getting his first start or Tellers and Cavani coming into the starting lineup. Yeah. Just interestingly, of course, there's a kind of a pleasing, pleasing little narrative with Cavani having obviously been released by PSG in the summer. And he's, it's possible his first appearance against United will come against them. He's PSG's all time top scorer with 200 goals, which obviously is an incredibly impressive feat. But do you feel like he's going to have a little chip on his shoulder or something that he's been released just because he's not Neymar was essentially the, the justification for it? Uh. Yeah, look, I, I think he, he he probably may have expected or wanted PSG to offer him a new contract. Having said that, he was injured a lot of last season and they brought in a Cardi on loan and he he hit the ground running, Neymar and Mbappe. You know, I he's th- I think he's 33, 34, 33, I think. So it's 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 quite understandable why PSG let him go. I don't know. I, I would imagine that he probably left on quite good terms given how long he was there. And you know, he's very popular with the fans. Obviously, as you say, leading all-time uh, goal scorer. Um, but as any ex-player, I'm sure, I don't know if he'll start that game. I, don't, I think it would be slightly a bit of a surprise to see him start. But I think he'd definitely come on from the bench maybe if you're chasing the game. He'll certainly want to make an impression, show that he's he's still got it and that he can compete at the top level. So, yeah, he'll definitely be up for it, I'm sure. But I, I'm not sure we'd see him from the start tomorrow or today uh, for, your, for our listeners. Well, let's move on to uh, Chelsea against Sevilla. I didn't make note of uh, whether this is Tuesday or Wednesday, but it is this week. Um, it is an interesting matchup. We know Chelsea have obviously managed to buy themselves a quality attack. We've finally we've seen it growing to fruition over the weekend, finally, with mm. Havertz and Werner scoring. Uh, but we also know that any team in Europe is capable of exploiting their weak defence. And we know what Sevilla are like in European competition. 
Um, so how tough a night do you think it will be for Chelsea? I think it will be a very tough night. Um, I think, you know, I, I can't quite remember, but Chelsea had a similar-ish group uh, that they have this season, last season. You know, they have the likes of Valencia, which I would use as a sort of Sevilla equivalent. I think Sevilla are a much better team than Valencia were last year. Um, so, I, you know, I think Chelsea would be do very well for themselves to, to win this game. Um, you know, I think Sevilla are very experienced in, in European competitions. They've got a, a, a solid team who've been playing together for a while. They, you know, they've experienced success. They beat, they beat Bayern Munich in the Super Cup. Oh no, they didn't. They, but they won something, I, I, I seem to recall. Um, Europe. so yeah, but, but, yes, that's the one. <laughs> how, how it shows how significant the Europa League is to me. <laughs> Arsenal fan, so it should be, but yeah, so Sevilla is going to be a really tough one for Chelsea. Um, I'd like to see them, you know, blow them out of the park, blow them out of the park in a way. If, if all of their forward options, who are experienced Champions League players, you know, Havertz was playing for Leverkusen last year um, until they dropped down to the Europa League. Uh, Werner's experienced in the Champions League. Thiago Silva, uh, so they, they've definitely got the, the pedigree of players to 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 see them through. Um, but yeah, very tough game this one. There is one. One feature of this game that I'm quite looking forward to, I might be overanalyzing it. I'm probably I'm overanalyzing it far too much, but I think it'll be quite interesting to see how uh, provided Kepa starts. Obviously, against the Spanish team, it'll be broadcast in Spain, well watched by by Spanish fans. Um, mm. Of course, with the Euros on the horizon next year as well, um, I think it'll be interesting to see if that affects his his approach to the game at all. Um, if it makes yeah. it. You know, it makes him avoid making any more rash decisions or anything. I just think this, from a psychological perspective, playing against a, a Spanish side might be quite an interesting thing to watch out for for him. I agree. I, I do think if if uh, Edouard Mendy, their, their new goalkeeper, uh, who they signed from, was it was it Ren in the summer? Um, if he's fit, I, I, I anticipate him to start because... Kepper made a mistake at the weekend, and ordinarily, I think Lampard would would not really. Uh, keep faith in him if he had the choice but if he does start as as you say it would be an interesting uh, test for him given the amount of uh, pressure he's under after after the weekend and basically his start to the Ch- his Chelsea career um, and this season um, yeah okay well uh, let's move on once more again we'll just run through all the all the English teams fixtures I think um, so next up we've got Manchester City against Porto um, it's so when you, I mean, I, I'm sad enough to watch the draw. I mean, it's something they could do in five minutes, but it takes an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> but I did sit and watch it, and you know, every year when you watch when you watch these draws, and you've got all the teams in pot one, like Liverpool, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich. The team you want, you want either the champions of Russia or the champions of Porto is a seeded team in your group. And City struck, struck it lucky; they did get Porto. Um, was it? I think it was either Porto or Benfica who were the top seed a couple of seasons ago and lost all six group matches. Um, mm. City obviously as well got got um, a wrong to right after the, the game against Leon last season. Um, mm. Do you expect them to see out come out? Do you expect to see them come out all guns blazing then? Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, the scars won't have settled yet after the Leon game and their past experiences in the Champions League. Um, I think they're they're 
you say it, we say it most years now, but they're more experienced, and we, you expect them to with the attacking threat that they have. You know, all players like Bernardo Silva, Mares, Foden, Sterling. Uh, they all look so dangerous at the weekend against Arsenal, especially with Aguero back. Even with De Bruyne out, I don't think he's back for um, the game against Porto. But they should have a, more than enough, especially at home, to, to see off Porto. And I do think that they'll they'll come out with a point to prove, absolutely. Um, if you're a Manchester City player who played in that game against Lyon um, or around the squad at that time, you'll know how, how big it is for Guardiola and the club to sort of turn it around and, and give, again, the Champions League a real stab this year. Yeah, I mean, again, you talk about um, Aguero... Aguero being back in the lineup this season, he, he must be getting to stage in his. I mean, I think he's been talking about or considering leaving City over the next couple of seasons, like we saw obviously David Silva leaving in the summer. He must be starting to wonder if it's ever going to happen with him in the Champions League at City. I mean, he's been such a talisman for, for them over the years. What, where do you think his confidence will be at this season um, in terms of his expectations of how? How City get on, and if if do you think it's likely to affect how long he stays at City for the rest of his career? Look, I think Aguero. I don't really anticipate him staying further than you know the end of next season, perhaps. So he might have maximum. I think he's got two years left at City. Um, I think this this year is massive for him. Look, he's missed he's missed uh, quite a few games through injury. Obviously, he was out for those Real Madrid games. Um, so I think. Of all players, he will certainly be chomping at the bit. He'll be really wanting to, on a personal level, more than anything, but also for the club that he spent, you know, the best part of ten years at. Um, yeah, he'll be wanting to make a big impression, and it might be sort of his last chance because, you know, in the summer, Manchester City were looking at sort of reinforcing that central central striking. Uh, position obviously at the moment Gabriel Jesus is injured uh, but massive for Aguero and I think look he'll probably be relatively rested given he's been injured so look having a player of his quality even if he's getting on a bit he's shown that he he scores goals and he can be a difference maker and I think maybe we've forgotten about that so I'd love to see him remind everyone of of what he's about definitely in the Champions League as well. Okay well we'll just move on I think we've only got really got um one more, one more match worth talking about the Champions League. Um, Ajax against Liverpool, obviously um, starting off this campaign not as champions of Europe, but still as champions of England, which um, helped them once again when it came to joining the group. Mm. But Ajax, I mean, this was so close to being the final just a couple of seasons back before Lucas Moura, yeah. obviously, infamously. Um, and Ajax were an incredibly unfancy team back then as well. Obviously, this season we've seen them lose Hakim Ziyech, Van der Beek, They've kept hold of a couple of their other um, key players, but obviously they're you know they're one of the you know one of the European footballing greats. Um, so it's mm. by no means an easy start for Liverpool, is it? No, absolutely not. And to go to Ajax, I mean, ordinarily, I'm sure fans there would be quite the quite the quintessential Champions League um, European experience. Um, but yeah, as you say, they have. Uh, it reminds me of Monaco a few years ago when they had that unbelievable team and and went on that crazy run to the uh, Champions League semi final, and then sort of over the next few years, their team just got, you know, they were they were selling left, right, and centre for excellent fees, and that's what Ajax have done. You think last year it was De Ligt and and De Jong, this year Ziyech and Van der Beek. Um, so yeah, they're not. I don't think they're they're quite at 
that level that they were. But a club like Ajax seem to constantly produce these sort of players. The culture is so so prom- prominent. Um, so I, I expect Ajax to, to test Liverpool to go for it. Um, and who knows, Liverpool might want to rotate. Can they afford to, you know, how are they going to cover Van Dijk's absence? Uh, Alisson probably not back either. So it'll be, you know, given the context of they've lost 7-2 to Villa, then, then they've had the Merseyside derby, drawn 2-2, lost Van Dijk to injury. Um, it's a it's a quite a big game for them, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they just go to go to the Netherlands and put in a an absolutely dominant performance and just remind everyone of of, of what they're about. And it would be a, a a good marker telling everyone that they can play the way that we've seen them play without Van Dijk and perhaps Allison too. Yeah, I mean, it is a very interesting point you raised. I mean, you said earlier how how is you know it's a matter of years as opposed to weeks or months since Liverpool last played without Van Dijk in a game, particularly mm. this magnitude. So perhaps they can't afford to rotate because that's already as it is. That's a, that's a large enough change. Yeah. Try to adapt. Massive to. change. Um, Ajax themselves, um, they have started off pretty solidly in the uh, Dutch league this year. I mean, obviously, it's by far it's not the same caliber of opposition that they're facing. They missed out on the Champions League altogether last season, ironically, having um, reached the semi-finals and coming with a yeah. mid-final. Um, so mm. you do kind of wonder how whether they'll have the sharpness having not played a game of this magnitude for a season or two. Absolutely. And, uh, but you know, Liverpool, on the flip side, have got their own challenges to contend with. Um, they do. So it's, you know, it's a challenging game for both sides, I think. Um, one more thing I do want to ask you just before we go. I think we've been... We've of course. I did want to ask you, did you spend £14.95 to watch Fulham against United? <laughs> well, funnily enough, my, my flatmate, I just got back um, and he was like, right, are we all spending, this is three of us, are we all spending £5 each on, on this match then? Um, so no, I did not spend £14.95 on, on, on any of the games, to be honest. I mean, the only one I consider doing is, is Arsenal-Leicester next week uh, on Sunday. But, you know, for, for a neutral game like that, it's just it's laughable isn't it who's going to pay 14.95 I mean if presume you didn't either <laughs> no I no, I certainly didn't I think if they were on paper if there was ever to be a game that finished nil-nil it would have been that one um, yeah obviously just kind of the, the freak freak nature this season so far one all's kind of the new nil-nil um, mm. so you know it certainly wasn't wasn't one uh, to get the neutral excited was it no I don't think so alright then um, I've not actually looked which which fixtures are coming up this weekend. I'm sure there are some fantastic ones. Arsenal, yeah, United, Arsenal, Leicester, United, are, United playing Chelsea. Uh, Spurs have got Burnley. Um, so there are a couple good 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 contests. Man City have got West Ham. So Liverpool, Sheffield United. Um, so yeah, I think the one the, the big one is is Chelsea United next weekend. And Arsenal Leicester, in a sense, but maybe good fancy, fixtures. Fancy football team, a bit of a reshuffle then. Oh, yeah, well, that's uh, um, pending, well, pending on my side. Christ. It's easy, you know, it's easy, you just say you've forgotten about it and then, you know, that's your excuse. But, um, uh, I, I haven't forgotten <laughs> about it. I have been trying my absolute best and I'm still only getting 20 odd points a week, which is a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does happen. Well, hope for better this week anyway. Uh, thanks for joining me. Kept you for the long call this week, the full thing rather than just. The- uh, mate. Well, look, it's, it's talking about football. It's uh, that's what I love doing. So, 
you're welcome and, and lovely to be on yet again. We'll see you again next week then, if that's all right. We've got a standard appointment. Absolutely. On a Monday <laughs> that's fantastic. All right, enjoy uh, the football tonight. I think we said last week, Leeds against Wolves should be a great game to watch. Yeah, um, absolutely. Coming up as well, uh, Europa League potentially. Jimmy Dwight, I can't Oh, remember. Rapid Vienna at 5.55 on oh, Thursday. I, I just wanted to get you excited. Um, <laughs> I might give that a miss personally, but um, I'm sure you won't. You can tell us all about it next week. Um, absolutely so, alright thanks very much Alfie see you later no worries mate take, take care see you all next week as well for the next Sports Up show thank you thank you